Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another edition of Bagoon's Barrage, the State of New England podcast with me, your host as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon. Well, we've got a good one for you on tap. We've got a book review, Eric Larson's Dead Wake, which is the story about the sinking of the Lusitania, which precipitated America's involvement into World War I. We've got a movie review for the kiddos out there, Lego Batman. Uh, we'll also talk about the despicable showing by the Boston Celtics this weekend where they somehow went 1-1, one and one, could have gone 2-0, and oh, also could have gone 0-2, oh so uh, it's kind of a 50-50 battle there. We'll uh, delve into a little bit on the Boston Bruins and their big matchup tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs. When it comes to the Celtics, of course, we'll talk a little bit too about the Washington Wizards, but before we get to either one of those, our topic of the day. So our topic of the day is all about how sports is a zero-sum game. Sports can at the same time be awesome and awful. And it was no more apparent to me than this past weekend. I was broadcasting the NCAA D3 Men's Ice Hockey Tournament quarterfinal matchup between the Endicott College Gulls and the Trinity College Bantams. As a quick aside, I despise any mascot that is the gull simply because if it is a game where I have to say goal and gull in the same time, it gets a little bit confusing. And to my Western Massachusetts kind of New England accent, trying to differentiate those two words is oh so difficult. But back to our topic at hand. Sports is a zero-sum game. With the exception of regular season hockey and way too many soccer matches, there is a winner and there is a loser when two teams come together. There is somebody that will leave the game with their head held high and somebody that will be sad about the result. This is apparent in March more than any time else. You can watch the student athletes, guys that are anywhere between 18 and I think the oldest guy in March Madness right now is 25. But anybody that is 18 to 25, these are younger guys trying to do the impossible of reining in their emotion while also doing it on a national stage and something that they have been working their entire lives for comes down to what is nominally a two-hour contest, 40 minutes of action. You cannot understand just how much pressure there is. As somebody that has made his entire life and is still trying to make his entire life about sport, I can tell you that when it comes to these situations, there is nothing like it. There is nothing that can prepare you for these situations. So we go back to Endicott versus Trinity. Trinity won the game 2-1 in double overtime. At the end of the game, skaters from both teams were barely able to stand up. There was one guy, a senior, Brandon Cole from Anchorage, Alaska. Remember, this is hockey. So this one guy, Brandon Cole, his older brother is on the team. They could barely stand. Brandon was down on one knee after the game-winning goal that was pretty much ushered in by his older brother, Ryan. Ryan made a great play across the blue line, threw a backhand in front of the net. It was tipped in by Anthony Sabitsky. Actually went off of the kid's skate, but no review in D3. And I don't think he kicked it in. But the opposing goalie against Trinity, a guy by the name of Kevin Aldridge, he's from Birmingham, Michigan. 
he put together one of the best performances I have ever seen and one of the best games I have ever seen. In general, one of the best games I have ever seen. By far the best game that I have ever broadcasted. Not from my ability standpoint, but I mean from the way that the players played on the field of play. These guys were skating up and down the ice. They were so evenly matched. Even the scoring opportunities were similar. There'd be a three-on-two rush with a pass from the wing tipped in, or tipped, I should say, towards net, right in front of the crease, save made by the goalie. The next shift, the same thing would happen. It was astounding just how evenly matched these two teams were. But at the end of the day, one team had to win and one team had to lose. The winners, the Trinity College Bantams, they won a national championship two years ago, Endicott, in just their second year as a varsity program, took a team to the limit. You almost cannot go further than they did. And I was able to, because of the intermission, stand back and say to myself, this is something special. At the end of my broadcast, when I was signing off, I said there's not a single person that grabbed a sweater and took a stick out onto the ice tonight that should hang their heads. There's not a single person that should be ashamed of what they did tonight. Even the guys, and most especially the guys on the losing team, should not at all look back on this game with regret. They gave everything they had. This is why sports are great. Sport is a wonderful thing. Sport is life. If, and there are other places where you can find this, and I get into arguments all the time, but to me, Sports are, it's the best place where you can learn life lessons. My parents growing up made me play sports, uh, but they didn't so much make me as it was the only thing I wanted to do. Both of them grew up playing sports. My mom was the captain of her college team uh, for Yale University. Whenever it was, she was in college. My pops was a fantastic football player, pretty good basketball player, one heck of a baseball player. So just sports are what we do in my family. But the thing is, when it comes to sport, and you can find this in other places, like guys that play the violin, women that play the piano, women obviously can play the violin, piano, they can play sports as well. But I just find that the life lessons you learn by playing a sport are so valuable and prepare you so well for what you do in life that there really is almost no comparison. So here is a bunch of 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds who just got their hearts ripped out of their chest. Guys who played for 84 minutes and 15 seconds, leaving every single piece of energy they had out on the ice, fatigued beyond exhaustion, right? And yet, afterwards... Technically, you could call them the losers, but they know, and anybody that has ever played a sport at a high level knows that when you engage in something and when you participate in something like they did, anybody that calls them a loser is out of their bleeping mind. But more importantly, even though they lost the game, it will teach them the lesson of how to react to 
when life does not treat you fairly. It is absolutely not fair that the guys who wore blue and green on Saturday against Trinity had to lose that game. There was not a single player that could be called a loser from that team with the way they played on Saturday. And yet, they lost the game. But they're not losers. What they will do going forward, because they are athletes, because they have played at such a high level, and because sports teaches you these valuable lessons, they will get up and they will go back to the cliched grindstone. Technically, in hockey, you kind of do have a grindstone when it comes to sharpening the skates, but they will go back at it. They will pick themselves up, and they will learn how to stare defeat in the eye and say, you may have gotten me this time, but I'm coming back again. It does not matter how many times I may lose. I am going to come back at you harder the next time, better the next time. I will improve. And when you look at these things as a whole, it bothers me today that a lot of people, they don't for either a lack of a good upbringing or because their parents or they don't have the personal drive. But for some reason, and as I said, artists are the same way. You can't just pick something up. Unless you're a savant, you can't just pick something up and be amazing at it. You have to work at it. You have to find your flaws. Losing is a good thing. Being wrong is a fantastic thing. I said it in my previous post on the website, jakedonnelly.com. If you're listening on just SoundCloud or iTunes right now, go to jakedonnelly.com. I wrote a big missive on round two of my interaction with Sam or Califf. But being wrong, losing, are not bad things. Half-assing something is a bad thing. Not giving it your all is a bad thing. But when you lose, when you are wrong, what you then do and what happens to you is you find the flaws in your makeup, your character, or when it comes to sports, your game. And what do you do from that? If you are the type of person that has a great ability at introspection, then you take a look and you say, okay, this is what I am going to fix. This is why I did not win today. This is why I failed. This is why I was wrong. Sports tells you, because there is literally a scoreboard, okay? You can look up at the scoreboard and see I did something wrong. My opponent did something better. What you then do after that makes you who you are. So ask yourself, are you the type of person that sees failure as a bad thing? In other words, do you, are you the type of person that loses and just goes, ah, and leaves it be? That is a loser mentality. Or... Are you the type of person that loses a game, gets fired up immediately the next day, once the energy is back, do you say, this is what I have to do to make myself better? And it's not just in sports. It's at your job as well. Did the other person get the promotion? Me, I'm in sports broadcasting. I have seen so many other people without the talent that I have get in front of me. Now, is that my fault? Yes. Absolutely it is, because either I didn't network well enough, or there are other people that know how to get things done better than I do. And that is a whole swath 
of my profession. And there are tons of people that know how to get things done. I played in college with a guy that was getting things done, starting businesses in his sophomore year of college. Well, all I was doing was trying to, you know, find a girl and get the next drink and also take a couple of whacks at the batting tape too and doing some homework. But I didn't have the wherewithal to think about everything in the future the way that this other kid did. Do you think about the future when you're at your work, when you're playing your game, and you make a mistake? Do you say, this was a mistake, I can't do this next time? Sports has so many beautiful and wonderful life lessons, and you can see it when people play at the highest level like it was done on Saturday between the Endicott College Goals and the Trinity College Bantams. Not a single person that played in that game should be ashamed at all of what they did. The only time you should be ashamed of yourself when you're playing a sport is if you didn't give it your all. You can lose a game. There's nothing wrong with losing. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. In fact, it is wonderful because it gives you an opportunity to better yourself. But that is where there is this great divide nowadays Do you want to be right all the time and never get better? Or do you want to fail and improve? Do you want to be better tomorrow than you are today? I know I do. And I know sports is an arena that allows you to do something like this. I have zero artistic ability. I can copy stuff real well, charcoal and all that paint. If I look at something, I can actually put it down on a piece of paper. It's really odd that I can do that with the way my brain works. It's all about organization. However, when it comes to creating things, I can't do that one iota. There's nothing in me that can do that. But when it comes to people that paint, uh, as I mentioned, violin, guitar, piano, whatever, you still have to practice every day. Improving yourself every day is what people should strive for. To me, because I grew up with sports, it's easier to see that. Other people, they can do it with the artistry and things like that. But when it comes to sports, when it comes to living life, are you taking it day by day, just going, man, you know, I'm content with everything. I'm okay. This is where I am, whatever. Is mediocrity okay to you? It's not to me. And I know most of the people that I hang out with, it is not okay to them. And I think as a whole, not to get too preachy, which I've already done now for the past 10 minutes, but I think as a whole, there are a lot of people that are okay with mediocre. And I think that's a lot of what is wrong right now with society in general. Mediocrity is an okay thing. It's not. It is not okay. It is not acceptable to be content with mediocrity. Now, if you are mediocre and you used to suck, that's great because you improved. Not everybody can be the best, but are you better today than you were yesterday? If the answer is no, do better. If the answer is yes, you can still do better, but I love you for trying. If you don't try, you're a loser. If you try, you're a winner. All right, so off of the soapbox here. So back to the State of New England podcast here. 
Uh, the Boston Celtics were awful this past weekend. They first played the Brooklyn Nets. A loss to the Nets is actually doubly bad because, well, not just do you lose the game if you are the Celtics, but you also give the Nets, who do have the worst record right now in the NBA, a win, and it makes it a little bit more difficult to get those ping-pong balls to drop in the right place when the lottery occurs at the end of the season. So the Celtics do pull out the victory uh, against the Brooklyn Nets, but it was ugly. Isaiah Thomas was out for two games uh, against the Nets and the 76ers, and anybody that thinks Isaiah Thomas is not one of the top three MVP candidates, all you have to do is look at these two games against the lowly Brooklyn Nets and the not-so-good Philadelphia 76ers. See the offense of the Celtics. And what in the world was going on? Not a single thing. Now, Jay Crowder, he had a double-double against the Nets. He was terrific. Without him, the Celtics lose that game. Without Al Horford playing the way he did against the Brooklyn Nets, the Celtics would have lost that game. But then Horford comes back against the 76ers and has one of his best games of the season in a game where nobody was shooting the ball well. And not surprisingly, without Isaiah Thomas, it's the second game in a row where they didn't shoot the ball well. The Celtics were one game away against the Brooklyn Nets of tying the Rockets for most games in a row, knocking down 10 three-pointers. They were at 25. If they had done it against the Nets, they would have tied the Rockets for 26, which is the record. But they did not do it because Isaiah Thomas gets about four threes a game by his lonesome. This is not a good basketball team without Isaiah Thomas. They are a bottom eight team in the East without Isaiah Thomas. With Isaiah Thomas, they're one of the top teams in the East, one of the top teams in the NBA. So after a porous win against the Brooklyn Nets, they come back against the Philadelphia 76ers and were not good. Al Horford was spectacular. He was 11 for uh, for 14 Going into the fourth quarter, kind of disappeared in the fourth. A lot of people will say that was awful. I just think he kind of, he played 33 minutes in the game. They went to him a ton. He had 27 points. He was 11 of 16 from the field overall. One for two from three. Four for five from the line. He had eight rebounds, six assists. He had a steal. He was only credited with two blocks, although I thought I saw about four from him. The Celtics ended up shooting 86%. They were 25 for 29 at the line, but that game was lost at the line and in the final six possessions. The Celtics, who, remember, nobody thinks Isaiah Thomas is a good defender despite the fact that he has better on-ball metrics than Damian Lillard and Kyrie Irving. But the Celtics had one stop in the final six possessions against the Philadelphia 76ers, and it was just an awful Awful, awful day defensively for the, uh, for the Celtics. Their rotations were slow. The only person really playing lockdown defense was Al Horford. Uh, Jay Crowder was a little bit slow himself. It was the back-to-back, or excuse me, it wasn't the back-to-back, but it was the second game in three nights. They have the back-to-back tonight against the Washington Wizards, a huge game between the Celtics and the Wizards because the Celtics and Wizards both 
are within shooting distance of the Cleveland Cavaliers who have decided to just start resting everybody. But Boston right now is a game and a half over Washington. That's another two-game swing type of game. Celtics are 44-26. and 26. The Washington Wizards are 42-27. and 27. John Wall is playing out of his mind uh, last couple of weeks. I think he's averaging 26 points and 12 assists, I believe, are the numbers. So the Celtics have a big game tonight against the Washington Wizards, one of the weirder rivalries that has kind of sprung up out of nothing. Of course, earlier in the season, you had that Jay Crowder-John Wall thing at the end of the game in Boston where he kind of went boop. Right on his nose, and I guess going boop is fighting stuff. I, I don't know. Never been in a fight that started with a boop on the nose. <laughs> if I ever got booped on the nose, I, I aren't you supposed to laugh? Like, is that intimidating? I've got no idea what's going on. But after that game, the Celtics got just massacred in Washington when the Wizards wore all black before the game. I'm still not quite sure what in the world that was about. Early season, regular season rivalries. But I cannot wait to watch this game tonight between Boston and Washington. Isaiah Thomas will be rested. Washington can't really play defense against them. So, I honestly, at home, big game. This is where, if you are worried about the Celtics and how they will perform in the playoffs, tonight will be a good indicator of how they'll do in the playoffs. I think Thomas is going to go for 40. I think he'll have one of those games, especially with having missed the last two games. I just think that Isaiah Thomas and the Celtics, they'll follow the leader. And Isaiah Thomas is the leader. And he will get the job done tonight against the Washington Wizards. All right, so we got the Celtics on deck now. It's the Boston Bruins. Now, the Bruins have been great under Bruce Cassidy, almost playing 800 basketball. I'm make that hockey under Cassidy, we're done with the with the basketball talk. But their last game against the Edmonton Oilers was their worst game by far under Bruce Cassidy. A 7-4 defeat against the Oilers. Brad Marchand continues to do his thing. He scored his 37th goal of the season. But the Bruins, as I mentioned, ended up falling to the Oilers 7-4. There, there was some hard hitting in the game. It was a fun game to watch, especially if you were an Oilers fan. Milan Lucic was back. I love Luch. Just watching him barrel down the sides, down the wing, going vertically. Ah, it's just so much fun to watch him do his thing. It really is. He's one heck of a player. And he's got Connor McDavid there. It just, ah, I love watching them play. It is so much fun to watch Connor McDavid play. His skill level is outrageous. Right now he's tied for first in the NHL in points along with Sidney Crosby, who went off in his last game. Crosby's 40-40 right now, which is just... Uh, McDavid's at 25-55, both for 80. And then it's Patrick Kane and Brad Marchand, tied for third technically in points, one both behind McDavid and Crosby. Patrick Kane, 32-47. And Marshan 37-42. Marshan right now with those 37 goals. It is unreal how well he is playing. Marshan second in the NHL after Crosby. Just went full Crosby on everybody over the weekend. Now has 40 goals, three ahead of Marshan. Marshan three ahead of Vladimir Tarashenko. But this Bruins team, 
I think you're going to throw up a clunker every so often. They've had this weird start lately where they just don't really get out of the box. It happened against the Ottawa Senators, and I talked about it in a Bagoons barrage. That game was back on March the 6th, I believe, 4-2 loss, where Tukarask gave up two quick goals in the first five minutes, and the Bruins are back on their heels. Then the Bruins came back, and they ripped off four straight wins. So if a bad game comes right before a four-game winning streak, I mean, if you win four out of five, you'll take that any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Now, the Bruins will take any type of win tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs because things are starting to get pretty close there in the wild card race, especially with the Bruins and the Maple Leafs taking a look at the standings right now. In the Atlantic Division, it's the Canadiens, the Senators, and the Bruins are the top three teams. Canadiens at 90, Senators at 86, Bruins have 82 points. The Maple Leafs, with one game in hand of the Bruins, are three points behind. So if you take a look at that, if the Maple Leafs beat the Bruins in regulation today, they will maintain that one game in hand advantage and they will be down by just one point for the final wild card spot. So you can see just how precarious the situation is for the Bruins. Now, the Bruins are only two points behind the Senators, which is why that game back on March 6 was so pivotal and why it was so important that the Bruins not throw up a clunker, which they did. But Ottawa has lost four in a row. They are reeling. When you look at the Atlantic Division, with the eight teams there, only three of them have won their last game. The Canadiens, they've won two in a row. They've kind of snapped out of that little funk with Claude Julien. The Sabres have won one, and the Red Wings have won one. But you don't have to even care about the Sabres and the Red Wings. Everybody else, they're trying to grab defeat from the jaws of victory, it seems like, in this race to get to the playoffs. The only team that's really playing out of their gourd, it's the Bruins. And they've been doing a great job. And we'll see if they can really get things going tonight against the Maple Leafs, or if they come out flat like they did against the Oilers. Adam McQuaid had a good fight in that one. Uh, Zidane Char wanted to fight a couple of different times. Finally, somebody took him, and then the second that Chara kind of wound up, that man went down without a punch, which it's always kind of deflating whenever Zidane Char tries to fight because nobody wants to dance with him. But when we take a look at the state of New England right now, the Bruins and the Celtics, eh, things aren't as hot, but with a game tonight against the Washington Wizards for the Celtics and the Toronto Maple Leafs for the Boston Bruins, they can both turn things around and put smiles on the face of everybody in New England. And it's important because with March Madness, URI, University of Rhode Island, they lost a game they should have won, and there's no more New England teams left in March Madness, although Babson, the Babson College, uh, Babson did end up winning the D3 National Championship for basketball, so they got that going for them. Hey, that's something. All right, so enough with sports in our preachy edition of Bagoons Barrage because now it's time for first our book review of the week, and the book review is Dead Wake by Eric Larson. Now, Eric Larson is one of my favorite authors. He's a guy that wrote Devil in the White City, which is a nonfiction this Dead Wake is nonfiction. Uh, he also has a wonderful historical no uh, novel called In the Garden of Beasts, which is 
about um, a family, an ambassador family in Germany leading up to World War II. And that's what he does. He takes a look at certain aspects of history and where things kind of turned. So when it comes to Dead Wake, it's the story of the Lusitania, which was the British cruise ship that would sail from the United States to England and back, back and forth, back and forth. Now, Cunard, which is the um, which is the corporation that owned this cruise liner and a bunch of others, they had some warnings before, especially actually on the day that the, Lus- the Lusitania sailed from New York to England, that the Germans said they were going to sink anything pretty much that came their way. Now, the story, and Larson does a fantastic job of really weaving things that don't really seem all that relevant into the story until he just ties them all together. He's a wonderful writer. They're easy reads on subjects that aren't really the easiest subjects to get your head around. And yet he does a fantastic job, this Dead Wake, and I don't want to tell you everything that went on, but with Dead Wake, he does a good job. He gets you into the mind of the U-boat commander, U-20 commander Schweiger. He gets you into his mind and says exactly why he torpedoed, and it was a torpedo, just one. It was also a little bit of an issue, but he did torpedo the Lusitania. He tells you about how life is on a U-boat at that point in time, the dangers involved with it. But he doesn't really paint the nicest picture of the Germans, and he doesn't paint the nicest picture necessarily of anybody. What he does is he brings all of the facts together and says, look, this is what happened. He doesn't even say why uh, he thinks this happened. He just said, look, these are the facts of the situation, and this is what resulted because of that. When I'm reading a nonfiction book, That's what I want to know. I want to know the facts. I want to come to my own conclusions. And he does a wonderful job. He talks about the captain of the cruise liner, uh, Captain Turner. He talks about the people on board. And that's the other thing. He really just, he does so much research. And he transports you back into the 1910s and says, this is how everybody lived. He talks about one of the things that stood out to me is apparently at that time, the height of fashion for men's clothing and everything like that was bright pink. So a couple of the people that survived the sinking of the Lusitania were wearing bright pink clothing. And he he just made it seem so anachronistic because when you think about that time, don't you think of dull visions? At least I do. Every one of the pictures, it's black and white. I mean... It has to be black and white, right? So you think everybody's kind of in these drab outfits. But no, he goes through. He's like some guy had like a a tie clip with flaming heads. And another guy was wearing a bright pink vest and a green suit. And it's just he did a great job. It's a wonderful book. So if you like history, if you've ever read Devil in the White City, which is one of my favorite books of all time, please pick up Eric Larson's Dead Wake. And I think the next couple of weeks we'll stick with the historical nonfiction or historical novels, and we'll go with that. So our first historical novel here after a couple of weird books back-to-back is Eric Larson's Dead Wake. Lovely book, fantastic book about the sinking of the Lusitania. All right, so on to our last topic of the day, and 
It is a movie review, a movie that more than likely will be out for just one more week. So if you hear this now and you want to go to a good movie to take the kids, none of this, um, how am I blanking on the uh, Beauty and the Beast? I've been reading the reviews of Beauty and the Beast, and a lot of people just said it kind of sucks. They're like, it's really boring. It's, It's the magic of Disney without the magic, which is just seems horrific. I don't know. Well, I know why Disney is redoing all of its movies and making it into live action. Cha-ching! Money. They want more money. We want more money. Canada wants more money, guy. But I know why they're doing it. The reviews all say that Beauty and the Beast sucks. If you have kids, don't take them to that. Take them to a Lego Batman movie. It is one of the best movies I have seen. Now, I'm 29 years old. In the body of a 29-year-old, the mind probably of a 15-year-old, so take that with a grain of salt. One that loves Legos and loves Batman. My younger brother, Ezekiel, Zeke. I don't know why I just said Ezekiel, but my younger brother is one of the biggest Batman fans and separately one of the biggest Lego fans I know. He saw the movie. He said, go see it. It is not a kid's movie. It's not. It is good for kids. It is great for kids. It's even better for adults. This is the movie that Suicide Squad was trying to do. It was awesome. There was not a single moment of the movie that I did not like. I liked everything about it. Rosario Dawson was funny. Galifianakis as the Joker was funny. Arnett as Batman was really good. Uh, Ray Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes uh, was Alfred. It was awesome. Everything about that movie was enjoyable. It was funny. It was heartwarming. It was endearing. It was so well put together. Lego has come out with two movies now, the Lego movie and Lego Batman, that surpassed every expectation I had. Lego has found the way to make some of the best movies in the past five years. I don't know why, but it's just a fact of life that Lego right now is on top of their game. I don't care. I don't want to know why. All I care about is that they keep pumping out these movies. They've got Ninjato, Ningato, something like that, that even the trailer for that looked good. I don't know what in the world it is, but it was funny. The trailer was good. It's got Jackie Chan in it. Jackie Chan is A-OK. Jackie Chan is the man. So hopefully Lego can go three for three. But when it comes to good movies, Lego Batman, when it comes to good books, Eric Larson's Dead Wake, when it comes to good play, not late for the Bruins and the Celtics, but they can turn things around against the Washington Wizards and Toronto Maple Leafs. And when it comes to good ideas and good life lessons, pick up a ball, play a sport, pick up a bow, sit down at a piano, try to teach yourself something. Try to make it so that you are better tomorrow than you are today. All right, that will do it for me here from New England. Thank you once again for tuning in to Bagoon's Barrage. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I got a little preachy today. But, you know, sometimes you just got to step up on that soapbox, especially with everything that went down last week with that hack from Deadspin. But, hey, you live, you learn, and if you play sports, you get better. Even if you don't play sports, you can still be better tomorrow than you are today. Thank you for tuning in to Bagoon's Barrage. 
This is Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon, saying, hey, be good out there, and as always, go New England. Come along, line of blood, line, I ain't gonna change.